0: Matthew 21, 1 through 11. The verses will also be on the screen above and behind me. And the word of the Lord says this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord is May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated.
1: Morning. Morning. What a beautiful day it is. I mean, the weather in Nashville, I've never seen anything like it. How do you go from uh, 70 degrees to 30 degrees? to April, snow and sleet on Friday, now to 70 again. I mean, uh, I'm a clinician, so I can diagnose things like this. We call that in our field, that's called bipolar. So that's called. uh, When you have that big of uh, mood swings, Uh, anyone else see the snow on Friday? It was crazy. Um, But besides the weather, thank God. It is going to be beautiful today, by the way, 74 degrees. Uh, Spring is finally coming, amen? What? That's all we get? Let's try that again. Spring is coming. Amen? Amen. Just a few announcements this morning, and then we'll dive into God's holy word together. Uh, this uh, Friday is a Good Friday service uh, at 630 here in the building. So Good Friday service uh, to come and uh, just begin to prepare our hearts for Easter Sunday. So Good Friday service, the 15th at 630 in this room. And then the next day will be the Easter festival. That's 12 uh, to 3. Um, be praying for the weather and be praying that God would use that to reach our community. And then the following day will be Easter. And again, pray. continue to pray for our search committee as we are looking uh, faithfully uh, at uh, one individual. We will meet again uh, today to discuss. Uh, we had an interview with him last week. We'll uh, talk again about him uh, today so we praying that God will give us wisdom uh, as we move forward uh, as we look for a youth pastor let me pray for us and then we'll jump into God's holy word uh, together this morning let's quiet our hearts before the Lord and ask that the Lord would do what only he can do and that's uh, stir our affections for him make us more like him this morning God, we're grateful for the opportunity to come into your house, into this place of worship, to gather with one another before you. We know that there's brothers and sisters around the world that have to do this in secret. And by your kindness to us, your goodness to us, your faithful to to us, uh, we are able to do that with um, total freedom this morning. I pray that we would never take that for granted. And that is a true gift. Uh, that you give to us. I pray this morning as we gather in this place that you, through the Holy Spirit, would do what only He can do, and that is to make us more like your Son. We ask that you would do that through the washing and the reading of your Word in our hearts, our minds, our souls this morning. We do believe that your Word has been a gift given to us by you. It's infallible, it's inerrant, and it's inspired directly by you. For the edification of us, the believer, and for the conviction to the unbeliever, that that, your word, would bring unbelievers to yourself, and you would uh, wash us as a believer in your word. So we humble ourselves to you today. Do what only you can do, and that's make us, again, more like your son, Jesus, who we praise with all of our hearts. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Uh, This morning, we will look at Palm Sunday as we lead into uh, Easter Sunday next week. Uh, So today is Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of what we would call Passion Week or Holy Week. This is where Jesus has been making his journey uh, to this moment from the foundations of the world. Uh, Way back in Genesis chapter 3, this promise that a Messiah would come and redeem us and save us is now we're at the precipice of it. We're at the the, the dawn of the the really the combination of the scriptures that we would have a savior that would redeem lost people to Himself. And so this morning, I want to look at three things. I want to look at these three things that Jesus is going to accomplish here in the text. Jared just read it a moment ago, but I want to bring your attention uh, to. Uh, Matthew chapter 21, and I want to answer this question that the crowd was asking that day. In verse 10, it says this, And then Jesus, and when he, Jesus, entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. My hope is that we would be stirred this morning. That we would be asking the question that those people asked that day, and what was the question that they asked? Who is this? Because it's in how we answer the question, who is this, will set us in a trajectory for all of our lives and even into eternity. So you have to answer the question this morning for yourself. Who is Jesus? Was he just a good man? Was he just a good teacher? Was he just a good prophet? Or was he truly, what we'll see in this text, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. Because if you just simply say he was a good prophet, he was a good teacher, he was a good man, he was a miracle worker, but you do not answer the question that he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords, then you have no salvation. So it's how you answer that question that your salvation or your eternity hinges on. So three things we're going to look at. We're going to look at, Jesus is king, but we're going to look at three ways that he's king. My hope is that you would believe that this morning. Let's look at the text here in Matthew chapter 21. I'm going to go back and forth between Matthew chapter 21 and Zechariah chapter uh, 9. These two uh, hold hands tightly together. That's where we get this passage from is Zechariah chapter 9. But here's what it says. Here's what Jesus has been doing. If you look at the Gospels, it says that Jesus, when he came to the planet from an early age, it says over and over, especially in Luke's Gospel, that he would turn his face towards Jerusalem. His whole mindset was to go to the cross. Everything that Jesus was doing on his earthly ministry for 33 years was to put his face towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem, because he knew in Jerusalem is where he would seek and save that which is lost through what we're going to look at next Sunday, the cross, but more importantly, the resurrection that happens in Jerusalem. And it says, it says this, and now when they, this is Jesus and his disciples were near Jerusalem. Where were they? They were in chapter 20. They were in Jericho and Jericho. Jesus had just healed the two blind men. So on his journey, he heals these two blind men, and now he's moving toward Jerusalem. If you know about Jericho and Jerusalem, it's a 17-mile journey. 17 miles may not sound far to us, but remember, they didn't have cars. They had feet and sandals. So Jesus begins with his disciples to make this 17-mile journey. And we could come to the text and say, well, no wonder he wanted a donkey. Who wouldn't want to ride on a donkey? A horse, something, a, a dog. I mean, after 17 miles, you ever walked 17 miles in sandals? And they're not like the cool Nike Air sandals. They're, they're like flat bottom, like just a little bit of leather sandals. They're not like, they're not nice. Let me just put it that way. His feet had to be killing him. So we can come to the text and say, of course, He wanted to get on a donkey and ride the rest of the way. Of course he was tired from his journey. Of course he was human. But that's not the reason for the text. The reason for the text has become some 740 years prior to that, and then 2,000 years even prior to that, there is this prophecy or this promise that said this. It would say this in the passage. In Genesis chapter 49. He's at the very end of Genesis chapter 49. You remember the, the blessings on the 12 tribes. And, and Judah is one of those people. And this is where the line of Judah comes from. This is where Jesus comes from. And this is what it says way back in Genesis 49. There's this promise about this moment. It says, binding his foal or his colt to the vine and his donkey's colt to a choice vine he's saying that there will be this man who comes on a colt and a donkey to bring salvation to his people fast forward from genesis 49 to zechariah 9 verse 9 says this greatly rejoice O daughters of zion shout aloud daughters of jerusalem for behold what your king is coming your king is coming, righteous and having salvation. He is here. Humble and mounted on what? A donkey on a colt. Full of a donkey. And so here in this text, we see in these very first few verses, the rightful king. The rightful king that this promise that this man Jesus would come He is the rightful king. There's been a lot of kings before him, had there not. Even the greatest king of Israel, King David, had come before Jesus. But he was a king. He was not the rightful king. And so this moment here in the first three verses is going to show us that Jesus is the rightful king to come and reign supreme over all of his creation. And it says that they came to the page, to the Mount of Olives. Now, again, we can just pause there and have a whole sermon on that. Why would it be important that Jesus would pause at the Mount of Olives? Anyone know? It's again, it's a promise and a prophecy that came to us from Zechariah chapter 14. In that, in your Bibles, it will say this at the title, verses 1 through 14. It says this, it is about the coming of the day of the Lord. That's the title of those first few verses in that chapter. And if you read through that chapter, it's all about Jesus, how he's going to reign supreme where? On the Mount of Olives. And he's going to bring victory. And so here in this passage, again, we can miss over it, but he paused to fulfill a promise to show us he was the rightful king to bring victory. I'm going to get to that here in a few moments, but look at the response that happens. It says that he pauses there and then he sends these two disciples to go into the village in front of you. And immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them both and bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, you shall, what shall you say? The Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. Humble and mounted on a donkey and a colt and a foal of the beast of a burden, and then it says, "This the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them and put on them the, colt, the, the, the cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. If you turn to the rest of the passage in." Zechariah chapter 9, let's turn there for a moment. To see the whole promise or the whole prophecy that had to take place. It says this in this passage. It would be helpful if I had marked it in my Bible. It says this in the passage. This is the the original promise. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming, righteous and having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. And I'll cut off the chariot to Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, And the battle bow that shall be cut off. I want to see three things that the crowd responds to. We see it in this text, and we see it again in chapter 21 of Matthew. What is your response when you see the rightful king? What is your response? What is my response? What is the response? of the church when we've seen King Jesus. The first thing that we see that people do is what? Rejoice. Do you rejoice when you see King Jesus? The word rejoice there means to express with great joy. Think of the moment when you got engaged. Think of the moment when you had your first child, your second child, your third child, however many children you have, did you not, with great anticipation, with great joy, shout it at the rooftops? I wonder, church, for us, I wonder in my own life, when's the last time I've really rejoiced at seeing King Jesus? What would it look like if we as a church would rejoice every Sunday morning because, behold, our eyes have seen the King? Do we rejoice in that way? So the first response we must have is this, we must rejoice. The second one is this, we must shout aloud. The word shout means in the text, it has this idea of a war cry. Have you ever, I've never been to war, thank God for that. I've seen it on TV, I've heard it from other people. But when men and women get ready for war, there's this rally cry and they go, bananas. Bananas. It's that idea of just shouting with this exclamation point that we're about to go do something and do something big. When's the last time we've rejoiced and had this war cry because of our king? Have you ever seen Braveheart? Braveheart has this amazing moment. Well, you, William Wallace is rallying his troops and he's giving this amazing speech and at the end of the speech, what happens? There's this war cry. They come in all unison and then they Blaze the battlefield i wonder if we haven't blazed the battlefield because we haven't seen the king we don't rejoice with the king and we're not shouting aloud you see just a few steps from here to that back door or the front door when you cross from this threshold to that one that is a war zone is it not How many of us leave here with trepidation and fear and wonder what God will do? But if we behold our king, we will know that we're entering into a battleground and we will rally and this will be our place of a war cry as we head out of this place. But have we seen the king? The rightful king? The last is this. Will we rejoice in seeing the King? Will we shout in a war cry? And lastly, it says this: "And behold, your King is coming to you." What the writer saying that we would stand in awe of the King? When was the last time you just sat back and beheld the King, King Jesus? And took it all in. wonder how busy our lives are. In the busyness of our lives, we don't get to behold the king. i would submit to you this morning, slow down so you can behold the king. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 21. I have this vision in my head that that's what those people were doing that day on the roadside as they beheld the king because it's going to say here in a moment they had this shout but look what it says before the shout it says they took off their cloaks and they laid them on the donkey and they took off their clothes and they laid them before the king this verse 8 has everything to do with basically rolling out the red carpet Like the people saw, they beheld the king, they cried to the king, they rejoiced with the king, and they had an understanding that he was truly the king, so they rolled out the red carpet for him to walk on. When's the last time we've rolled out the red carpet for King Jesus? I think so many ways that we can do that, but one primary way, the way that we can roll out the red carpet the same way that they surrendered their cloaks. They laid them before King Jesus. That is such an illustration for us in our lives. Would our lives be the cloak that we would lay before King Jesus as a place of surrender? This was a true act of surrender and acceptance that Jesus was the king. So is he first and foremost in your life and in my life and the life of this church? Is he the rightful king? This first two king Jesus is he is the rightful king. But look what else he is, and this is such a sweet promise for us this morning. Back in chapter nine, it says this behold, the king of what? What does the king bring? salvation if he was just the rightful king but wasn't the victorious king we'd be in trouble So, do you believe he's the rightful king but do you believe he's the victorious king that word salvation in the text means this to help to receive and to be victorious now if you do a little bit of word Diving into that word salvation has a twofold meaning. It's not just that King Jesus came to save us, though he did. But it starts with what? King Jesus saving himself. You may think to yourself, what do you mean by that? Well, Jesus had to have salvation from what? Death. And so what the writer is saying, that Jesus was able to conquer death because he was the victorious king, first and foremost, over his own life that gave him power at the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, there is no salvation for you and I. The cross is nil and void without the resurrection. Do we know that? And so what the writer is saying, first and foremost, Jesus had to save himself and he had the power because he was the rightful king to save himself and because he could save himself, you know what that means? He can save you. So it's a twofold word. He saves himself by the power of God, and he saves us by the power of God. And then it says this: and when the people saw that, they saw and understood that he was the victorious king, the crowds went before him and they followed him and they were shouting, Hosanna! The son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Do you know what the word Hosanna means? It means to save now. Now, The sad part about this in the text. is That their salvation was misplaced. Their salvation was in the salvation. From Caesar. Their salvation was misplaced their salvation and was hoping that they would free him from Rome. Because they didn't really understand what he'd truly come for. I wonder how many of us this morning would shout, Hosanna, save now, but we've misplaced that salvation into other things. It says that they laid their cloaks out, but they also took branches and laid them on the ground. This is why we call it Palm Sunday, because they took palm branches and laid them before Jesus. Anyone know why they would have laid palm branches? Palm branches for them was a sign of victory. You would lay palm branches down before a king as he rode back into the city to be reminded that they had just received victory. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. Do we believe, church, this Palm Sunday, that we have a victorious king? Not just a rightful king, but a victorious king. May we say what the psalmist says in Psalm 118, verse 25. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. But that word really means salvation. Is that our prayer? And do we believe that he is the victorious king today. Will we pray the same way that they shouted, because it's more of a prayer than a shout, Hosanna, salvation, now save me, now. The last thing that we see about Jesus is this. Not only is he the rightful king, not only is he the victorious king, but he is what? The humble king. Behold, your king is coming to you. and He will bring salvation. And what? He is humble and mounted on a donkey. We have a humble king. The word humble there means meekness. Meekness means this. Power under control. Do we believe that we have a meek, Jesus or a humble Jesus who has all the power and control. There's only two things that Jesus ever says about himself in all the Gospels. Of all the things Jesus could have said about himself, he only says two things. It's found in Matthew chapter 11. Those two things are this, and this is the text. This is how we know we have a humble king. He says, come to me all who were, what, labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take what my yoke or my teachings upon you and learn from me, for why? I am gentle and lowly. Of all the things that Jesus could have said about himself, and all the gospels, he could have said I'm all powerful, he could have said I have all the control, I have Everything is mine. He said, no, no, no. no. I'm gentle and lowly, or I'm meek and humble of heart. Then he says, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light.' Think of it in this way. I don't know what kind of parents... You had, I don't know what kind of parent you are, but nobody wants to be around a harsh person, do they? No. Jesus was not harsh. He was gentle. He was humble. And in all of our mistakes that we've ever made, thank God we do not have a harsh king. Thank God we do not have Vladimir Putin as our king. That dude is harsh. He could rule that way if he wanted to. He is the king, Jesus. But his characteristics are gentle and lonely and meek and humble. This is the vision I get of Jesus, and we see it all over the place in the Gospels. Remember where the children are wanting to come to Jesus, and the disciples are wigging out about it basically like how could you let little kids get near you I don't know if they were smelly I don't know if they're like disruptive I don't know what was going on that day with those little children but the disciples were like hey, hey this is not how it works and what does it say that Jesus said to his disciples and I just get this image of Jesus getting on one knee with his arms spread wide gentle and lonely and humble and gathers those children into him and puts them on his knee and begins to talk to him. We see in a few moments later the meekness and the humility of Jesus. It's not in this account, it's in Luke's account. But it says after this, after these people had been singing his praise, he walks the red carpet and he gets all the way to the edge of the city, it says. to Jerusalem. So Jesus overlooks the city right before he's about to go into the city. You know what it says he does? He weeps over the city. Harsh people don't weep. Gentle, lowly, meek people weep over what they see. My question to you this morning in closing is this. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he the rightful king to you? Is he the victorious king for you? Thank God we have a God that lays victory over everything in our lives. There's nothing that he cannot overcome in you. Amen? Those darkest demons he's overcome. The wicked Addictions he's over come because he is victorious. And yet he does it with a humble, soft hand. Arms open wide, ready to receive us. My question is Who is he to you? Will you this morning rejoice and shout and behold? The rightful king. Will you cry out. Hosanna save now. And will you as he says in Matthew chapter 11. Come to him. So that you may find rest. For your souls. He is. The rightful. Victorious. Humble king. That is waiting for you. Your salvation. Do you believe that? Let
0: us pray.